was once listed as one of the top 100 most effective CEOs in the world. David Pyatt was CEO of Allergan from 1998 to 2015. During that time, he grew Allergan from a small eye care company to a pharmaceutical giant. The company's market share increased by $68 billion under his watch. How did he do it? No matter what size of the company, Pyatt says to have growth, you have to ask yourself this question. You know, when we grow up, um, what would we like to look like? And it's often surprising how um, little time is dedicated to that. Hi, I'm Irene Silber. David Pyatt recently sat down with the Vanguard Forum's Ken Banta to talk about what works and what doesn't work, whether you're the CEO of a small startup or a large conglomerate. One thing that's clearly worked for you is your career. Can you tell us uh, how you went from an MBA at LBS to becoming a global CEO and board member? Is there a quality or a lesson that people can learn from? Yeah, well, in everybody's journey, of course, is a different one. and. In my case, I was actually a banker before uh, I went to London Business School. And I think if you're at the top of a bank, um, maybe that's a really interesting job. But uh, of course, if you're 27 years old, um, you're not going to be the CEO of any large bank anytime soon. So I decided it was time to go and do something different. And for me, business school, and in this instance, uh, London Business School was a life-changing experience. Um, I think for me, because I'm, I'm definitely not a control freak, but I generally like to know what I'm talking about and I'm not very good at bluffing. Um, so I decided I really needed to load up my toolkit of you know, actually knowing how to um, read a balance sheet and a P&L and do business analysis and all that great stuff. Um, otherwise, I just felt very kind of naked and exposed. But that's the formal part. I think the second part that I, I think most business schools teach is how do you just get through an inordinate amount of work? Because clearly, the goal is to just overload you so completely that you have to make choices and trade-offs. And you also learn very quickly that if you don't work in a group, i.e. a syndicate, um, a work team, you will not get through the work. So very, very valuable experiences. And, uh, you know, that was just the beginning on the rung. And as they say, uh, the rest is history. Uh, we've been asking all of the Vanguard members to say what will be the most important leadership capability for 2021, uh, hopefully, uh, if not post-COVID, at the tail end of COVID. The question is, what will be the most important leadership capability for 2021? the word that flashed through my head was actually flexibility. And I, and I think obviously resilience was a big word as well. But to me, empathy, absolutely. Um, because working with colleagues remotely, um, there has to be some human element um, beyond just looking at people on these beautiful rectangular screens, which as we all know, it's amazing what we can get done. Um, so, you know, thank the Lord, um, this happened, you know, in, um, let's call it the beginning of this decade and not 20 years ago, because uh, that would have been very difficult to um, maintain, you know, the wheels of commerce and the wheels of business. 
And I think behind the word empathy, I also think a lot about purpose. Um, I think more and more we read about, uh, you know, corporations have to be much more than just about profit maximization. And we, you know, a lot is talked about different generations of the workforce. But, you know, I, I believe that to a certain degree, but uh, I would say for really motivated people, um, evil people of my baby boom generation, the same, if you like, triggers work as for people who are 20 years old. Uh, that's one of the wonderful things about the human race that, uh, you know, the cycles ups and downs and, you know, I like to joke for the gentleman, you know, there's periods when we do wear ties and uh, periods that are the ties very thin and then very fat and mm -hmm. that's called fashion, but it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, um, you know, it's what we stand for and what we can do for, uh, you know, our stakeholders. You've, you know, you've been involved with uh, very big uh, companies like Allergan, taking it from a small eye care business to a, a big one and a big international pharma company. Um, do some of the lessons of that uh, leadership and uh, decision-making apply to very small companies or is it, is it, is it different? Are there, are there some critical factors that would be the same ones you'd apply if you were taking over a, a startup today or is there a big difference in scale and, and what you need to bring to bear as a leader? Yeah, well, I think the, the key difference is um, a large company has a lot of resource and therefore you can have access to full-time specialized knowledge Whereas a small company, um, there's much more, you know, you have to be good at multitasking. Um, that definitely is the weakness of the small company. But of course, the strength of the small company is you can take decisions a lot faster. Uh, usually that's the bane of the big one where things get shoved around in committees. But I think where I would answer it is to say, I always think um, whether you're small or whether you're large, um, people should think of kind of horizons of corporate activity, <clears throat> activity and goals. And, you know, if going back to Allergan for a second, um, you know, how the company was managed when it was a 2 billion revenue company and how it was managed when it was a six and 7 billion is different. And, you know, in a well-functioning organization, which it definitely was looking back, um, you got to push decision-making down. And I think we did that relatively well, where people understood, you know, there were clear goals, <clears throat> but freedom, you know, to operate within fairly well-defined parameters. And they knew the radar was very good. We had very good observation tools and mechanisms, and not because we didn't trust people, um, I just like to know what's going on and, you know, do the instruments reflect what I was hearing from the customers I visited? And if they weren't, then what's wrong? But going to the small company, um, I think, you know, you say, well, this is great. We're working on program A and B. But, you know, when we grow up, um, what would we like to look like? And it's often surprising how um, little time is dedicated to that. And I think that's where particularly the board, even if it's a private company, needs to be able to answer that question with the CEO, that's the CEO's job, to say, okay, when we grow up, what are we gonna look like? And we need to be very precise what that goal is.
David, uh, asking you to go back in time and think about uh, the one piece of the most important piece of advice you would have given your younger self. So uh, what could you have done differently? Uh, you know, really right back to what works, what doesn't, what wasn't working that you could have improved on now that you know it. Looking away back, and, and I spent 17 years at Sandoz and then Novartis, you know, after the merger of Sandoz and Sibagagi. And so I kind of grew up in a very Germanic kind of culture. And that taught me to be very careful because I watched lots of people being wheeled out <laughs> in, the, in the train to Siberia. So, you know, you, you get a little bit careful, right? And I would say, looking back, I should have been probably more open uh, and particularly with people above me, providing I trusted them, ask for their advice and support. And you can tell in the culture I grew up in, you know, showing weakness wasn't really a very smart idea. You know, it could be like, okay, push the knife through this hole in my armor, you know? Um, and it was very encouraging when I came to California, it was the very opposite. And, uh, you know, people were here to help each other generally. And I remember a board member who actually still to this day, he happens to be English and lives in Switzerland. And he leaned over to me during a board committee and he said, David, these people really like you. And I looked at him, raised eyebrow, and he said, you can explain what your problems are. They will help you. I will help you. I said, thank you so much. You'd love this, Ken. He was one of uh, Fred Hassan's disciples. So he was <laughs> trained by the best, mm -hmm. going away back to sharing plow days. David, just one last uh, question that comes up uh, a lot uh, around courage. And, um, you know, it's sort of a, uh, it's a given theoretically that leaders should be courageous, but um, probably being courageous about everything, uh, you won't be a CEO for very long. So <laughs> uh, how do you choose your moments? And uh, in, your own, in your own career, when, what has been your test for when do I fight and when do I fold? Or if not fight, at least when do I go along and get along versus uh, really raise my flag and plant, uh, and plant something out there to, to uh, maybe go against the, 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 the board or the executive team mindset? Yeah, I mean, I was going to start with something you alluded to, which is you, you can't, you know, fight battles on every front and be successful, whether it be all external fight, you know, just how do you resource all that? Or worse still, if it's internal dissent. Um, you know, I always take the view, tackle them one by one. Um, or if it can't be done sequentially, how do you divide it up into pieces? Um, so that you could be working very vigorously on battle one and just quietly preparing, um, you know, whatever it takes to get into battle two or battle three. Mm -hmm. So I'm always, everything I do is try, try to break down the pile into pieces, both for myself and then equally for your colleagues, because obviously there's the power of a group. If, you know, we say, well, Ken, would you handle this? And then just because I'm looking at, um, Shanaz, you know, or Janet, I could say, would you take care of item three and four? And then we regroup. Um, but I think also courage, you have to ask yourself, when does it turn into stupidity? You know, <laughs> because losing isn't really very pleasant. I mean, occasionally if you lose something minor, it doesn't matter. But if you keep losing, 
um, you know, you're going to lose the confidence of the team, lose the confidence of the board, lose the confidence of the investors, whatever it might be. So it, it's always um, somewhere in the analysis, concentrate on the strong points, um, build them up. And I think in terms of markets, the way we thought about that was build up great positions of strength. And then when you feel strong enough, let's say, you know, we're going to take that area over there, you know, Hill 601 now looks really attainable for us and then go get it and get it strong, you know? Yeah, I like that. So, and, you know, actually you were speaking of uh, Fred Hassan, you had a, a similar comment, I think about uh, the same topic, which I thought was, uh, you maybe said it better, but it was uh, that uh, being a pioneer is great, but uh, pioneers often get killed. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the famous one of how do you create markets? Because, you know, the greatest ones, there was no market the day you started, right? And probably in our world, you know, the iPhone probably would be the greatest one. You know, the first time I heard about Apple products like that, I, I thought, my goodness, that sounds like it was designed by a committee. And, you know, what a fool I was. I think it took me about three months to work out how stupid I'd been, but the rest is history as they say, right? Well, listen, we're uh, running uh, near the end of our time here, but uh, David, thanks a lot for those uh, really terrific insights and also for the, uh, the candor, which was uh, remarkable. That was David Pyatt talking with the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta. Pyatt was CEO of Allergan for 17 years and is currently vice chair of the London Business School. Podcasts like this one are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silver. Thanks for listening.